Welcome to Side Effects. Effect versus Affect. It's hard to know the difference. At McGowan Bravenger, our goal is to provoke you to think differently about employee benefits, your employees, and the status quo. That's why it's Side Effects with an A. Join me, Kenzie McEvely, an MB co-host and one of the industry's brightest guests to dive deep into the process of good employee benefits. Let's get started. Today on our show, we welcome Pim Yager, the Vice President and Captive Practice Lead at Scott Insurance, headquartered in Richmond, Virginia. Pim has over 25 years experience in human resources administration and benefits consulting and partners with captive organizations to implement a clear strategic vision for their employee benefits programs. He's an expert in all things employee benefit related, but we specifically asked him to be a guest today to share his expertise on the topic of captives. Captive insurance is an alternative to self-insurance in which a parent group or groups create a licensed insurance company to provide coverage for itself. Sounds too good to be true, right? Pim guides organizations to discover the best fit funding mechanism for their employer-sponsored health plan, including alternative financing such as self-funding or group health captives. In this podcast, we will learn more about the origin of captives, the community they have created, and how they've evolved in the marketplace. Without further delay, welcome Pim to the show. Hello, everyone. Anne-Marie, thank you for joining me as a co-host today. Yes, thank you for having me, Kenzie. And Pim, welcome to the show. Hi, Pim. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be with my friends from Ago and Braybender. Yes, and we are tapping into, once again, our C2 Solutions partners. Um, Pim, we're so glad to have you today. And the C2 Solutions partnership, it's what it's all about, right? To have you on the podcast, get your expertise, and just chat a little. Yeah, it's definitely the spirit of our collaboration, uh, I think, um, you know, very clearly on display and uh, excited to to be able to live into that here with uh, with sharing some hopefully some good information for you and your clients uh, about captives, obviously. Right. So in my intro, I gave a, a brief definition of what a captive is, but can you break it down further for us? What exactly what are they and how do they fit in on the benefit spectrum? Yeah, so I'll try to do that without getting too uh, complex, obviously, but essentially at the core of it, a, a captive is when self-funded employers come together to share a layer of risk, a predetermined layer of risk. And normally the goal of sharing that layer of risk is to um, essentially create a larger pool to absorb uh, large claims that will occur in their population. But these large claims tend to be claims that are volatile, um, meaning we don't know when they're going to happen. We don't know how large they're going to be. And if you're self-insured on your own, one single large claim can be really disruptive, both financially and uh, just structurally to your plan. And so when members can come together and share the for the risk of those large, unpredictable claims across a large aggregate group, it essentially creates a shock absorber. And that shock absorber creates, you know, obviously, you know, benefit for all of the members. Right. Secondary to that is that captives also create an opportunity for um, return of funds when we perform well. So when we create this, this pool or, or shared risk, we all pay premium in to cover those claims for that shared risk. 
But when we perform well um, and do better in managing our risk, then we're able to take what is left in that pool um, and distribute it back to the members in the form of dividends. It's essentially like taking profit from what would be a, a traditional insurance contract and being able to return it back to members. Yeah, and employers certainly love that option and that opportunity. So talk to us a little bit about how long has this captive structure been around? I mean, I've been in the benefit space coming up on 16 years. And um, when I first you know, came into the space, we didn't hear a lot about um, these group captives or employer captives. So how long has this structure been around? And when did it really start to pick up steam or, or become a more common option um, as we know it today? Yeah, that's a really good question. So maybe take us a step even further back, right? Um, captives in general as kind of an insurance structure really, um, you know, were founded in the 1950s or so, but they were focused on different types of risk, liability risk, workers' compensation risk, those types of things. So health insurance, if we're talking specifically about health insurance, the health insurance programs didn't really start to emerge until the late 80s, early 90s, but then it was generally in the format of really large employers using captives to self-fund employee benefits like life insurance and disability insurance uh, programs. Um, what we're probably gonna talk more about today and what's probably more relevant to our listeners is group health insurance captive programs. And those really um, got jump started from my perspective with the passage of the ACA. So the ACA really changed the way that uh, health insurers could and do underwrite uh, organizations. And it created an environment where uh, mid-sized companies that were still fully insured and were uh, performing well in the fully insured market because they had better demographics or were, their claims were performing well, they were no longer seeing the benefits of that good performance in their rates and their underwriting practices of the insurance uh, companies moving forward. The other thing that happened with the ACA too were these insurance industry uh, fees that the ACA implemented. And so all of a sudden what we had was a lot of mid-market companies that were, um, you know, looking at the, the their insurance world post-ACA and saying, well, if we no longer benefit from our positive experience in a fully insured pool and we're having to pay these additional taxes for the privilege, uh, so to speak, of being fully insured, then we really need a, a, a way out. And right. so for a lot of them, captives became a viable alternative because it gave them a way out of the fully insured market, but without all the risk and volatility that would come along with doing that uh, on their own as a single self-funded health plan. Yeah, and, and you're saying ACA, and um, you know, for us, it seems like perhaps just yesterday, but even for some of our listeners, they may not have been in the workforce when that was passed, uh, March 23rd, 2010. So uh, <laughs> over yeah. 11 years ago now, hard, hard to believe. Yeah, and so that date, um, you know, sticks with me because we really kind of uh, rallied our resources and investigated options for our clients um, who are asking for a different solution. And so we actually launched our first health insurance captive here at Scott uh, in July of 2011. So we were able to rally a pretty quick response, I, I, I think. Um, because it was, you know, something clearly that our clients, you know, needed, and um, and and continue to obviously. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And I know um, one of the main points of this podcast is to talk about the evolution of the captives, and the ACA was a huge part of that. But, Pim, can you kind of talk about how it's evolved over the last few years regarding the employee benefit healthcare captives? Yeah, I, I think that when we talk about the uh, uh, the evolution of captives, uh, right, probably the biggest thing to point to over the most recent um, years has been that um, there's a diversity, uh, I think, of captives that are available. So um, there there is a captive health insurance captive out there um, for um, you know, lots of different um, types of organizations and structures. So what I mean by that is, is that there are some cap captives that are industry specific, specific uh, focused. Mm -hmm. There are some captives that are uh, based upon associations or other affiliations. And then you also just have, you know, general, you know, group heterogeneous, you know, programs as well, too, that are just trying to bring together, you know, high performing organizations. So one, uh, I think, thing that we're seeing, obviously, is the diversity. And then two, the other big uh, change that we're seeing uh, that I'm sure we'll spend a little bit of time talking about is, is that we're starting to see more and more companies that are already self-funded uh, look to the captive as an alternative to being self-funded on their own. So right. in the past, I would tell you that 90% of the organizations I spoke to about captives were fully insured, looking to make a transition, right? Uh, and dip their toe in the water of self-funding. What we're seeing now is that closer to, you know, uh, you know probably 30, 40% of the groups we're talking to are already self-insured, they're looking just for a better way to be self-insured. Right. And so I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. But just before we do, I know you're trying to get your light to come back yeah, on. There we go. Trying to get my lights back on. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, you know, if we could just take one step back before we go a little bit deeper into, you know, a stop-loss captive or a health insurance captive. And, you know, we hear oftentimes when we're talking to employers, oh, yes, I'm in a captive today. Um, and maybe they're talking about their property casualty uh, relationship or captive or they're like, oh, yes, we use a captive, you know, as a tax strategy. So, you know, we don't need to talk to you about this, this health insurance captive. So maybe talk to us a little bit about the types of captives that are out there and delineate why this is different and specific. Yeah, so generally a captive at a 30,000 foot view level is, is essentially um, the same across the different types, right? There's always uh, the concept that you are paying for your own losses or self-funding your own risk up to a certain level and then sharing a level of risk. And then above that, you're still as a group purchasing some level of pure insurance, whether we call that excess layer insurance and the health insurance side or whether you call it an umbrella policy and some other types of captives. Mm -hmm. So so the, the main tenants remain the same. Some of the products, the most popular products that you see in captives outside of health insurance um, are definitely general liability insurance, uh, auto and fleet insurance, workers comp uh, is one as, as well too. And then also some other unique programs like warranties. Um, oftentimes companies that have a large warranty risk, right, mm -hmm. will uh, fund those in a captive model, um, both for the tax advantages, right, and the long-term, you know, ability to, to drive down expenses for those. So those are some, you know, examples of the different types um, of captives that 
people you know may already be in or have heard of. One of the big though differences between health insurance captives and those other types of captives is that our, our health insurance captive is unique in that um, it covers a known liability over a much shorter period of time than uh, other captives do. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, is that in our health insurance world, right, we, we are insuring contracts that generally cover a period of 12 months of incurred claims. And then sometimes we're covering, right, some, some run out months uh, to make sure that we're capturing that claim that was uh, that was incurred in the contract period and then not yet paid paid out. But in general, right, we can identify what our total liability is in any given contract year within two to three months or so after the end of the contract because right. those health insurance claims have to be paid on time. There are prompt pay prov provisions that exist with the providers. So we don't have any significant long-term liability in a health insurance captive like we do in other types of captive structures. Why is that important for um, you know, folks that are listening and thinking about health insurance captives? Well, it means for them that uh, two things. One is, is, is that uh, they're able to see the benefits of dividends returned back to them as members in a much shorter period of time. Generally, we're returning benefit, you know, dividends back to the members within nine to 12 months of the close of the plan year. And two, it also means that if they decide that the captive structure isn't right for them or they're acquired or there's another, you know, something else happens within their organization that, that leads them to need to leave the structure. They don't have ongoing significant liability yes. uh, right to the, to the captive. So they can exit the captive easily. Yeah, you mentioned it, right? There's no long tail. The tail is much shorter. So mm -hmm. if they need to exit, Right. That's a much simpler and, and less arduous process than other captives present. Yeah. And that's one thing that um, in talking with employers about considering a health insurance captive, if they've had experience with a property casualty captive and it happened to not be a good experience, um, that's generally what they remember is not being able to exit that arrangement. So thank you for pointing that out. So um, you mentioned earlier and you started to talk about this and I pulled you back up into the bigger world. Um, but, you know, what type of employer uh, is, is a good candidate? And you started to talk a little bit about the fact that it used to be fully insured employers and now it's uh, including employers that are self-funded on their own today. So if you could describe um, some key characteristics of employers that might be um, a good fit or may want to explore looking at a captive arrangement. Yeah. Um, so generally, historically, we've we've cited size of an organization as one of the key factors, right? The companies that have historically looked at themselves and said, hey, we're too small to self-fund on our own or to self-fund comfortably on our own. And so we want to be part of a, you know, uh, captive to have the protection of the other the other members. So generally, historically, we've said roughly you know 50, 60 employees on up to five, six hundred you know employee lives um, as being kind of that target for those for those groups. But I would say that you know with the fact that we are now seeing more self-insured groups you know looking at this, the, the the employee count no longer really resonates, I think, as much or is 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 not as much of a primary factor. 
I think honestly, the thing that we look at more is what's the intentionality of the group to try and better manage their risks so that they can be rewarded in the long term for better managing that risk. And when we're talking about health insurance, it's pretty simple, right? What are we talking about? We're talking about how do we help our employees and their families have um, better access to really high quality care at lower cost? How do we give them the tools and resources to live better and healthier lives, to proactively manage chronic conditions? All of the things that at, at the end, uh, you know, really come back to influencing, you know, the 80 cents of every healthcare dollar that is the, the, the claims that we pay, right? The services that we use. Mm -hmm. and, and so we really look now at captive prospective members in a critical way to say, are you willing to be part of this collaborative community of these other companies that are really focused on not just enjoying the financial structure of a captive and the protections of the captive, but are you willing to be an active member in this community to help us better manage the risk that we share and right. create better outcomes for your employees and their families. Yeah, so a, sh a shared philosophy towards managing managing that and providing for their employees. And, and it brings also the opportunity for some of these employers to take advantage of programs that they may not have otherwise been able to obtain um, on their own individually, right? So some of- Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, in my opening about, you know, what is a captive, um, right? Um, that's probably would be the, the other uh, item that I would add on to it, that successful captives foundationally provide a way for, you know, smaller employers to use their aggregated size to access resources that they otherwise wouldn't be able to access on their own. And, and that's just a, you know, a marketplace reality for us, right? We all consult also with large employers that have thousands of employees and they are, you know, to kind of use an anecdote, right? They're able to pull all these different levers uh, from a healthcare perspective to try and, and influence cost. And when we can use the captive as an aggregator to give, uh, our clients the same access to those types of tools that Fortune 500 companies enjoy, boy, that's when we can really make an impact. And Pam, I remember on our pre-call, we chatted a little bit about captive managers, and that was something I found interesting. Um, what exactly is the role of a captive manager and kind of how are they so necessary to make this successful? Yeah, it, it, captive managers are really uh, a key part to the success of any program. I mean, think of the captive manager as really being the hub uh, for the program and providing, you know, the hub of core services to coordinate um, administrative services, to coordinate for the collaboration and to facilitate interaction between the members, whether that's quarterly calls, whether that's education sessions, whether that's annual meetings. Um, and then also very importantly, to make sure that we are in compliance. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a captive is still a filed um, uh, entity. Um, mm -hmm. It needs to be domiciled and, and filed appropriately with a Bureau of Insurance. 
Most of our programs are domiciled in the state of Montana, but they can be domiciled both in other states in the U.S. as well as internationally, uh, depending upon preferences. And, and so all of that is is really important functionally, you, you know, to make sure that you've got a captive manager that, you know, really has the best interest of all the members at heart and, and is aligned with that that membership's goals and objectives. And I think collaboration is an excellent word for this podcast. And the community aspect of captives is pretty cool, I think, too. Um, can you kind of touch on what a companies get out of this when they're a collaborative community together? Yeah, collaboration is absolutely the key. And one of the phrases I use a lot when speaking to captive members is, are you prepared to put the we in front of the me? Um, because there are times when you're going to be asked to do that um, as a as a captive member. Um, but the key, I believe, in all of this is that if you join a captive with the appropriate intentions, you're going to take more away from the other members in in the in areas of best practices, ideas, inspiration, accountability than you you know put into it, and that is really key. Collaboration doesn't uh, doesn't go very far if there isn't accountability as well too to that collaboration. So things that we do within most of our captive programs, for example, is to set what we call standards of excellence, uh, or sometimes they're best practice community best practices. We use different phrases for them in different captives, but the idea there really being is, hey, let's hold each other accountable. Let's leverage the power of some peer pressure to say, hey, are we really all doing our best? to create better outcomes, not just for ourselves, but for the broader broader community. Yeah, that's really helpful to, to hear. And so um, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, as I wanna hear it in your own words. So talk to me about your opinion in terms of the future and the longevity of captives. Um, they really rely on this curated community and this collaboration. Um, what, what do you see happen if, if that doesn't uh, exist? And um, do you have an, uh, an example of maybe um, you know, when it worked really well and, and when, you, when you've when you seen it not work really well? Yeah, I, I am very bullish on the future of, uh, of captives because I think that um, the fundamental concepts of both the financial structure and this idea of collaboration with peers uh, are just, um, you know, tenants that are going to remain very solid, you know, for us, regardless of the environment, you know, that that we are in. And it's really just one, I believe, of getting the message out and communicating, you know, these values appropriately. To me, most of the time, it's not about um, you know, are, are captives growing because there are people uh, like uh, folks at Scott Insurance and McGo, McGo and Bravebender out there promoting captives. I, I think what what we re when we grow is when we are out there talking about the message and we find the companies that have been asking for this solution all along. Right. Um, those are the best moments and the best success stories are when we are able to sit down with a leadership team at a company and start to describe the philosophy behind captives and how they work and how they operate. And a, a member of that team or several members of that team will just look at us and say, well, I've been asking about this for years right. and, and everybody was telling me it didn't exist. And now you're telling me that it does. Right. So I really do feel that we're going to continue to see, you know, significant, you know, growth just because it's, it's something that people, want and are, are looking for. 
So speaking of the long- longevity, can you give us some success rates or have there been more failure rates? Yeah, um, uh, you know, um, all of this is all of the data that I'm probably going to share um, is really focused on success rates because um, we, we've seen uh, candidly nothing but significant success in our programs. And that's not to say that there aren't captive programs across the country that have not um, succeeded, but I would say that those that have not succeeded are because the work wasn't done up front to really get those members to understand what they were committing to and what they were part of, right? right. But when we look at our programs, for example, I'll, I'll share some stats from the last two years of our uh, largest heterogeneous program that both McGowan and Braybender and Scott Insurance have significant amount of members in. Over the last two years, right, 85% of our members in the program um, have seen their costs come in under budget and not just by a little bit, but by an average of over $1,200 per employee per year. Okay. Wow. So that's a significant amount, right? If, uh, if it's a hundred employee group, right on average, you know, they're seeing $120,000, uh, you know, uh, under budget performance. And that's money, obviously, that can be well spent. At the same time, our captive as a group and talking about that opportunity to win when we perform well and return dividend has performed equally well. Our two year loss ratio is 83%. So what does that mean? It means that, you know, 17 you know, 17 cents of every dollar that we're pooling together for these large claims is coming back to the members in the form of a dividend. In total, over the last two years, that was $3.2 million returned. So, yeah. so, so some pretty significant, you know, numbers uh, in regards to financial success. And I think we see that mirrored, you know, across our programs that, uh, that are administered, you know, with the same intentionality in regards to accountability and, and, and risk management. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, Pim, you, I've heard you say this before, and, you know, if you've seen one captive, you've seen one captive. And so oftentimes we'll hear about other captive programs and um, people will assume that, that our captive program is, is, is the same or similar. And um, although there are some underlying similarities, I do think that um, there are uh, many significant differences, many of which you have highlighted here. And, and we appreciate that so much. Um, thanks for sharing those statistics. And maybe one last statistic you could share is, you know, what's the renewal rate of clients that go into a captive? I know we said earlier, hey, one of the benefits is you can exit if you need to, right? This is a, a quote unquote short term proposition if you need to exit for business purposes or otherwise. Um, the idea is that you would enter into this for um, for the long term, right? Putting the we before the me. But what is the, the persistency of groups inside of, of the captive? Yeah, and the captives that we're involved in, and I want to, I want to, you know, state that these statistics really come from the captives, right? That we're involved in because of the, you know, the educational, you, you know, impact obviously in the preparation that goes into getting people ready to come in. But our retention rates are over ninety-five percent, so very, very high, mm-hmm. and that even includes, um, you, you know, sometimes it, we help clients get so successful, right, that they become. Uh, a target acquisition, you know, acquisition of, uh, you know, an acquisition target, you know, they're selling uh, to either, you know, a competitor being bought, acquired, um, you know, private equity comes in, right? These are companies generally that are very well run and they've used captive as a very appropriate strategy. So some of that, 
you know, uh, you know, retention um, and some of the folks that we've seen leave have not left by choice or that the captive hasn't been the right solution for them, right? It's just their business environment has uh, has changed. So we're really proud of that. And, and that's a number we want to be really focused on because mm-hmm. if we have a client that joins a captive and wants to leave, chances are we haven't done, uh, you know, our, our due diligence up front and, and really pre- help prepare them for what to expect. So, Pim, how large can these programs get? Because I know we discussed that they can break up into multiple programs, maybe based on size. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and, and the reality is, is that how large they get uh, probably in great measure is determined by um, who's running or influencing the captive and what their goals and objectives are. So there are some very large captives in, in the country operating today that have thousands of members in them. Um, but it's my perspective and my personal philosophy around captives that if you have thousands of members uh, without uh, accountability and without collaboration with each other, that all you've really done is created another insurance company, right? right? Joining a program like that, basically, you know, you may as well stay fully insured with a Blue Cross or a Anthem or a, or a United, Cigna, et cetera, and just operate in the same large pool uh, that you always have, because that's essentially what it becomes. So my perspective on it is, is, is that captives should only grow to the point where the members um, uh, you know, uh, can feel the collaboration, feel the connectivity, feel the opportunity to, um, to really work together um, and determine the course of how the captive operates. Once you reach that threshold, in my opinion, you know, it's time to, to break up uh, a captive into multiple what we call cells or groups, you know, that operate. And, uh, and what that number is, if you, you know, your follow-up question might be is, well, what do you think that number is? My gut tells me that it varies and it does vary by by program, but probably as you get into the, you know, 75, 80, 90 employee size, uh, employer membership range is probably at that point when you start to look and say, you know, hey, there's probably some diminishing returns here between the value that the larger pool uh, creates versus the loss of kind of the collaboration. Right. Makes sense. Um, so this question, um, we, we wanted to know, and it ties into what we were talking about earlier with the ACA being 11 years old. So what, what surprised you in, in the most in the last 10 years, if you had to pick um, one thing that's surprised <laughs> you? <laughs> Just one. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm continually surprised by how difficult it can be to get very well-educated employers to leave a fully insured structure that they can't possibly believe really serves them or their employees any longer. Maybe that's a strong statement, but the reality of it is, is that most of our uh, members that join reach a tipping point where the light bulb goes off and they see that an insurance company does not share the same goals and objectives um, as they do as a client of that insurance company. And that by joining a captive, you can align yourself with the goals and objectives of a lot of other good employers. And, and so throwing your hat into the ring with other employers that you know, that you trust, that have the same values as you, that are struggling with the same challenges um, is, is something that ultimately, I think, defines when people make that switch. 
But yeah, it shocks me all the time how hard we have to work and how often we have to sometimes tell the story before a company is ready to, to, to break away from the traditional model. Yep, that's right. a good one. I would agree with you. So, so that, that was the past. And if we are looking into the future, if you were to have a crystal ball, where do you think the future of captives is going? Yeah, I think that the future of captives is going to obviously continue to be growth. But I do think that one of the things that we are going to see in that growth is more growth along the lines of industry um, captives or association-based captives. That uh, I think that folks are starting to understand that the collaboration that they enjoy sometimes within industry groups, within um, you know other affiliations, are things that they can build off of with a captive structure as well too. So I think that we are going to see more activity in that space. A great example of that is, is that we recently have been working with the National Center for Employee Ownership mm -hmm. uh, to develop and launch their first health insurance captive program, uh, which is focused e exclusively on supporting the employee-owned uh, community. And yeah, so we're really excited to be part of that. Employee-owned companies are excited about the ability to not just collaborate on health insurance issues, but also to have a real tie to collaborate with other employee-owned companies. So that's a just a very specific example of where I think we're going to continue to see growth in the captive uh, in the captive space. So, Pim, if you had one thing to leave our listeners with, anything at all that you'd like to say about captives, um, that employer that's on the fence, the one that's um, got that hard head and not thinking like you just uh, gave us that answer. What's the one thing you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think the one thing that I, I would say is um, take a look at historically, right, who your best um, partners have been in business and evaluate what those core relationship values are and then take a look at what your relationship looks like with your current insurance provider, whether you're fully insured or whether you're self-insured with a reinsurer and try to identify if, the, if, if there are any, uh, you know, of those values, any of those things that that you that that you want to be focused on, that are shared in common with those providers, and, and if not, give captives a real hard look because I, I to, in my mind, right, that's really the key. Moving to an environment where you have transparency, where you have collaboration, where you have trust, um, is is just so important. And for most companies, it becomes such a breath of fresh air once they move into that type of a model and, and, and see what it can do for their business and for their employees. Yeah. Well, Pim, thank you so much. I say sign me up. And <laughs> unfortunately, that's all the time we have. But thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your knowledge and expertise on captives. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if anyone has any other questions or comments about this podcast, we'll have Pim's contact information on our website. And you can email me at Kenzie at HealthierBirthdays.com. Or you can reach me at Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Side Effects.